Good evening and welcome to our weekly Bible study and we're going to continue in the book of Job. We're coming towards the end of the book and I'm going to read from Job chapter 36 starting to read verse 26 and then through into chapter 37. This is where we finished off last week. So starting to read at Job 36 and verse 26. How great is God beyond our understanding, the number of his years past finding out. He draws up the drops of water, which distill as rain, to the streams, the clouds pour down their moisture, and abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds, how he thunders from his pavilion? See how he scatters his lightning about him, bathing the depths of the sea. This is the way he governs nations and provides food in abundance. He fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. This, his thunder announces the coming storm. Even the cattle make known his approach. At this, my heart pounds and leaps within, from within its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. After it comes the sound of his roar, he thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvellous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain, shower, be a mighty downpour, so that all men he has made may know his work. He stops every man from his labour. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber. The cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction they swell around over the face of the whole earth. To do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish men or to water the earth. And shows, showers, shows it with love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes the lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge. You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed upon the south wind. Can you join him in spreading out the skies, hard as a mirror of cast bronze? Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would any man ask to be swallowed up? No, no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies. After the wind has swept them clean, out of the north he comes in golden splendour. God comes in awesome majesty, the almighty beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness he doesn't oppress. Therefore men revere him. For he does, for does he not 
have regard for all the wise in heart. Let's just pray before we look at this passage together. Our Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather around your word. Again, we come to you and request that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will open our hearts that we might understand these things, that we might take them to heart, and that we might, might apply them to our daily lives. Our Father, we just lean upon you as we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're getting quite close to the end of the book of Job now, but, uh, you know, there are times when we are faced with situations that we don't understand, when we don't have all the answers, the answers that we might want, and then we can find ourselves making assumptions that turn out to have no relevance to the immediate situation. Job's friends, in not knowing why Job is suffering, make assumptions and draw wrong conclusions. We've seen that all the way through this book of Job. And this leads to them trying to justify themselves by telling Job things that Job already knows about God. They tell him that God is a just God, a mighty God, a great God, a forgiving God, and a God who is worthy of praise. All these things are true. But they're not that they, they, they are telling Job this because they're accusing Job of not knowing God. And they assume that his suffering is down to him rejecting God. Now, Job knows that he needs help. He knows God. And he's been telling them, his friends, that he has come to God the God who he knows and in whom he trusts. And he's come to God for answers. Now, we know the answers haven't come. We know that the pain is still there. But Job is still trusting God. You know, I've been thinking about this, and he's just a, a poor example of Job's predicament, a, pure, uh, a poor example that might help us to put Job's dilemma into some kind of perspective. This is it. Okay. You turn up at the hospital with a broken leg. What you don't need is a guided tour of the wards or to be told in detail how qualified the surgeon is. You know what a hospital is. You know what a surgeon is. You know that you're in pain and you trust the surgeon because of who he is, even though you don't know how He's going to fix your broken leg. What do you need right now? What you need right now is, is the reassurance that you're getting from the friendly nurse who will comfort you by telling you that you've come to the right place and you've come to the right person. The person who knows all about broken legs and that she will be with you, although she doesn't know how to fix your broken leg, but the surgeon will. And what she will do is whatever she can to ease your pain. She will stay with you. And as she does, she will quietly reassure you about the hospital and about the skill of the surgeon. But what she won't do is do that by taking you the long way round to show you how good the hospital is. 
or by showing you how great the surgeon is by taking you into his office and showing all the awards and certificates that are hanging on the wall. You don't need this because you trust the surgeon because he is the surgeon. Now Job is in pain. The words of his friends, no matter how true they may be, are not words that have brought any comfort to Job in his present situation. What does he need? He needs them to listen to him. That's the first thing. Then he needs them to begin to understand what he's saying and then to trust him when he says that he has searched his own heart but he can find no reason for God to allow him to be in the state that he is in. And then Job would want them to see his pain, to comfort and reassure him in whatever way they can, even if it means being silent. It'll mean staying with him, maybe praying for him, and maybe even holding his hand. Now, Elihu is the last of Job's friends to speak And he's going to continue to tell Job things that Job already knows about God. Now, we started last week in chapter 36 and verse 1 through to 25. We saw that Elio, first of all, was claiming to speak on God's behalf. He was defending God. And he's telling Job that Job needed to know certain things. If we look at chapter 36, verse 1 to 4, He's saying you need to know that God is a just God. Well, Job knows this. Verse 5 through to 12. He wants him to know that God is a mighty God. Well, Job knows this as well. In verse 13 through to 15, he wants Job to know that God is a forgiving God. God knows, Job knows that God is a forgiving God. And when you come to verse 16 through to 21, He's saying, Job, you're not listening to God, but Job is listening. But the truth is, God hasn't spoken yet. And then in verse 23 to 25 of chapter 36, Elihu is saying, Job, you need to know that God is worthy of praise. Job not only knows that God is worthy of praise, but he's still doing this. He's still praising God. What has Job said? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So this evening, we hear Elihu tell Job how great God is. And as we look at this, we must remember that Job knows how great God is. It's just that Job doesn't understand why God in his greatness is allowing Job to suffer. So let's have a look at those final verses of chapter 36, verse 26 through to 33. And Elihu's saying, look, take a look at the greatness of God. So we read, how great is God beyond our understanding? The number of his years is past finding out. He draws up the drops of water, which distill as rain in the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture and abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spends, spreads out the clouds, how he thunders from his pavilion, see how he scatters his lightning about him, bathing the depths of the sea? 
This is the way he governs the nations and provides food in abundance. He fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. His thunder announces the coming storm. Even the cattle make known its approach. Wonderful words here and what he's doing, he's using this illustration to show how governs and provides for mankind. Two things there, to govern. To govern the nations and then to provide in abundance. And this is very true. And it's said here in a very poetic way. It's almost like a psalm. He's telling us the water evaporates, causing clouds to form, causing rain to fall, or fills the sea, which then evaporates. And even the cattle know when it's going to rain. But they can't control the weather. And neither can we. You know, we have a lot of talk about recycling, quite rightly, too. We do waste a lot. But it's always been a great fascination of mine to think that I'm still drinking the same water that our ancestors drank. And that's all because of the greatness of God who put into operation the process of evaporation, condensation, precipitation. And I always think of this when I see the best before date on a bottle of water. Well, I know that water picks up impurities and they have to be removed. But you know, the H2O element the water, the same water, is still there. The water that's come down in the rain, that's gone across the land, that's ran into the rivers, that's gone into the sea, that's then evaporated up into the clouds and then come down again as that same water being recycled, recycled, because that's the way God designed it. And you know, water is essential to life. I understand three days without it and we die. You know, we can always look for the gospel footprints in anywhere in the Bible, and we get an awful lot of them here in the book of Job. I just want to share with you a few verses from Revelation on the subject of water and the necessity of it in order that we could remain alive. This is Revelation 22, it's verse 16 and 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. You see, Jesus is the gift that is necessary for life, for eternal life. The water of life. Without it, we die. Then Elio goes on and he speaks about the storm and how it's beyond our means to control it. But he's telling us that God can. God has control of the storm. We don't understand it. We don't know how he does it. But he can do it. God can. And God does control it. Again, let's consider something from the New Testament. Remember the passage in Luke Chapter 8, listen to verse 22 through to 25. I'm sure you know this really well, but listen to what it says. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. 
A squall came upon the lake, so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Terrible storm that they had to go through, but that was there for a reason. All these things happened for a reason. And the reason for the storm on that occasion on the lake was God showing the disciples, first of all, how weak their faith was. But that was so they would see who Jesus is. That's the question they asked. Who is this who controls the storm? Who is Jesus? And then when they know who he is, then they could put their trust in him. And this, for them, on that occasion, was in preparation for the dangers that were to come. What about the storm in Job's life? Well, a storm in Job's life will show Satan that Job was faithful to God. Job praised God, not for what he could get out of God, but because of who God is. And again, we can quote Job's words. What did he say? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. God has his reasons, reasons that sometimes are beyond our comprehension and we don't have the answers, but God has his reasons. So Eliot continues in chapter 37 to tell Job about God's greatness as he gives hints to Job that maybe, maybe Job, God is telling you to confess your sin, so that God can then remove the storm from your life. So we come to verse 1 and six of, 1 to 6 of chapter 37. He's saying, listen to God's greatness. He says, at this my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sound of his roar. He thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvellous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snowfall on the earth and to the rain shower. Be a mighty downpour. Why is Elihu saying this? Well, he's talking about God's greatness, but in it he's saying to Job, look, Job, you're telling us that God doesn't speak and that God hasn't spoken to you. But look, God is shouting at you through your pain, but you're not listening you see, that's a wrong accusation to make against Job because the truth is God hasn't spoken yet. So we continue in verse 7 through to 13 and Elihu goes on to say, look, see the effects of God's greatness. Verse 7. 
so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labour. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber, the cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice, and the broad walls has become frozen. He leads the clouds with moisture. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction they swirl round over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. You see, Elio was saying, God who is sending the storm into your life can send you the healing waters if only you would let him. He's saying he brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. But Elio goes on in verse 14 through to 18 and he's, he's saying to Job, listen, listen to me. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised, those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies, hard as a mirror of cast bronze? You know, these words are quite similar to what God is actually going to say to Job, but we can look at them in our next passage but here within these words Elio is saying to Job look Job can you weather this storm in your own way the way that you're trying by remaining oblivious to what God is telling you to do and he's going to go on in verse 19 through to 24 when he's saying tell me this Job do you think that you can tell Job what to do verse 19 Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our own case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies, after the wind has swept them clean. Out of the north he comes in golden splendour. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power in his justice and great righteousness. He does not oppress. Within this, Elio is, is telling Job that God, God does not oppress the righteous. This is what Job's other three friends have been saying. So he's telling here, Elio is saying, God doesn't oppress the righteous. Therefore, Job, you, as a guilty sinner, will continue to be oppressed by God until you become wise in heart and confess your sin. And you will then enjoy the sunshine of his presence when the storm will be over. And he goes on, he says, therefore, people revere him. For does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? You know, this might be true of a guilty sinner, but Job is not a guilty sinner. 
is a saved sinner suffering so that the glory of God might be seen in the heavenly realms. We know this as we refer back to what we have been told at the beginning of the book of Job in Job chapter 1. Job 1 verse 8, when God spoke to Satan, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now listen to this. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? In other words, Job only serves you because of what you give him. But now, Satan has taken everything away from Job. God has allowed this. And Satan has done it in order to prove his point. And now Job is standing at death's door. He has nothing. Everything has been taken away from him. His family, his possessions, his health, his state of mind. But he still holds on to what he said at the beginning. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He hasn't done what Satan said he would do. Leave him with nothing and he'll curse you. But no, he's continued to acknowledge who God is and has praised him through his suffering. You know, we're going to go into chapter 38 and then through to 40 and 41. And this time God will speak. And when God speaks this time, he will speak to Job. Let's just pray. Well, Father, we just thank you for the time we have spent in this book of Job. And we ask your blessing upon the rest of the time that we will spend in these closing chapters as we continue to see something of you. We can see something of Jesus. We can see the gospel as it's threaded through these verses. We see the faith of Job, even through his suffering and through him not knowing why these things are happening to him. But we thank you for his faithfulness. And Father, we pray that we might be strengthened by this, that we might remain faithful through whatever trials you ask us to go through. And for those who are going through trials at the moment, we ask that you will just open their hearts to you, that they might continue to trust in you. And if we have an opportunity to help those who are going through troubled times, we ask for wisdom, that we might not make assumptions, that we might do and say the things that you would have us do and say in order to comfort and ease the pain. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.